Father, we thank you that we know that you do know better than, than we do, Lord, because you are such a wise God. Thank you that we have the assurance today as your people of just simply being able to rest in your arms, to be led by you, the great shepherd, who takes such wonderful care for his sheep. Lord, we thank you that we are your sheep this morning, that we know your voice, and that we follow you. Father, we pray that we will open our that you will open our ears and, and eyes to the Word of God this morning, that we might see um, the beauty of Christ and just once again appreciate Him and our salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Dean said it was Labor Day a week from Monday, I, it's hard to believe, isn't it? I hope we've had a good summer. A Christ, as we say, a Christ-filled Christmas. Hopefully, it's been a Christ-filled summer as well. You know, I was thinking of uh, when you're talking about heaven, and what a wonderful theme that is to talk about a verse of Scripture, really, that was one of the first ones that I had memorized, but I've got a different translation today, so I'm going to read from that. Philippians chapter 3, you don't need to turn to it. This is probably one that maybe you're contemplating or have already discussed, but our citizenship is in heaven. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to, for me, I'm proud to be an American this morning, but my citizenship, first and foremost, is in heaven. I belong to Jesus Christ. And it says, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus. And I trust we are eagerly awaiting his return. At Fairhaven, where I attend, we've been this summer looking over the whole prophetic themes of the scriptures, talking about the rapture and the tribulation period and the millennial reign of Christ. And it's exciting stuff. Sobering stuff, though, if you don't know Jesus Christ. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in, in the shoes of someone who doesn't know him as we think of what's heading. And what's really amazing is um, when you look at the events today, we're starting to see things that are foretold in the book of Revelation, which really is quite awesome at that. We live in amazing times, don't we? Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. I'd like us to look at this wonderful story of Bartimaeus. Don't know anybody named Bartimaeus today. We think probably of Bart before we think of anything. Very rapid transit. But this character, Bartimaeus, is a wonderful story of the compassion of, of Jesus Christ, his awesome power. A lot of lessons in here. I, if you're here this morning and you're not sure of your relationship with Jesus or if you're not sure you know him, this passage is an eye-opener, and I trust you'll hear. And if you do know Jesus... You're confident that you are his and he is yours, then there's lessons as well for us, so don't switch off. You know, this is interesting in Mark chapter 10. It's the last miracle recorded by Mark in, in this gospel. And we'll start reading. It's a short little story in verse 46. Let's go let's back up to verse 45. Jesus says, For even the Son of Man, this is chapter 10, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many profound words in that verse. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. May God bless his word to us this morning. You know, there's a couple of real simple themes here as we walk through the scripture. Let's look at it together. When you notice his state, what was the condition of Bartimaeus? Well, you don't have to be too overly educated to see it from the scripture right here. He was blind. He was blind to the beauties of nature, all the things that as a privilege and as a blessing you and I can see this morning if we have good eyesight. You try walking around for an hour or two with some kind of a contraption over your eyes or if you just want to close them for that long and see what it's like to go for an hour or two without being able to see. It's a difficult thing. My mother has a condition and probably some of you have relatives or Maybe you even have it this morning called macular degeneration. And there's some new exciting stuff that's coming out on that for people who have just got it that they might be able to help people or to at least prolong the vision difficulty. But for her, it's been a case of having that for about the last 10 years. And it's progressively gotten to the point to where one eye, she cannot see at all. And out of the other eye, she can still see. But things are distorted. There isn't the color. There isn't the ability to see long distances, and so she can't drive any longer. But praise God, it hasn't gotten any worse. It's just maintaining. It could go at any time to where there would be almost a complete vision loss, but that hasn't happened. But when talking to her and noticing someone who has some kind of an eye ailment or some kind of problem, a blindness where even if you're considered legally blind, you cannot drive, you realize if you're in a condition where you can see, how beneficial it is and what a blessing it is. We, this summer, one of the things we did, of course, was went to the Yosemite Conference again. And I don't know how many times you, I don't think you can go to Yosemite too many times to where you're just not taken back by the beauties of nature and to see that our God is the one who's created all of this. One of the things we did this year was we climbed Yosemite Falls. It's a nice six-mile hike. three and a half miles or so, actually about seven, three and a half miles all uphill. About 12 of us went and then we were able to uh, swim in a nice pool that was up there. Not a heated pool, it didn't need to be. It was a natural pool of water and then to be able to climb back down. Interesting thing was it was about 12 of us and my wife uh, went up without a sweat. And that's not an exaggeration for the the trip. I think that's because she's been going to some place called... Weight Watchers, that's it. As in tip-top shape. But just to be able to look out on the valley at that height and to see the mountains and the ridges and everything else. We just stopped and praised God for what we saw. And this situation here is a picture. Just think of the analogy of this here. We have Bartimaeus. He can't see the physical beauties that's all around him like you and I can. And it is a picture of the sinner who's blind to the beauties of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're blind to the spiritual beauties this morning of knowing Jesus Christ personally. Think of the the 
the things that you see as a Christian this morning that others don't. You see Him. You see Him as God. You see Him as the Lamb of God who was slain for you. You see Him as risen. You understand. You have a, a spiritual vision, if you like, where your heart understands salvation. How to be saved if you know Christ today. You know that it's nothing that you could do. Nothing, nothing you could do but what He did alone that could save you. You're enjoying the new birth. You're enjoying peace with God in a world where there's so much incredible amount of turmoil and uncertainty from day to day. You know what it is to have peace with God and to experience that thing that Paul says in Philippians is beyond all comprehension. How you can, as a Christian this morning, have peace with God even though there may be storms all around you. It's a wonderful thing that you have. You have forgiveness of sins. You have the assurance as we were singing or as um, Dean was saying, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. It's not I hope I'll be there. It's not I wish I'll be there. Or I wonder. It's I'll be there. There's that certainty of knowing something. You're not blind to that any longer if you know Jesus Christ. And of course, you have the presence of God. You have, as Randy was singing here a moment ago, just the assurance that in this walk, I have someone to guide me who's wiser than I am, who knows what's best for me, whose ways aren't my ways and whose thoughts aren't my thoughts, and yet you have this sense of comfort and rest that you can just rest yourself in his arms. Those are just some of the, and I say this word loosely, but I'm not loosely, but not casually, but fringe benefits, if you like. And there's so many more of knowing God because of the blood that was shed. But the person who doesn't know Jesus is blind to this, does not see this. Because the scriptures tell us that there is, and we know this, there is that spiritual battle that is taking place. And it is incredibly intense. It's more intense than, than any war that we're seeing with our physical eye here on the earth. It's a battle that's taking place in the heavenlies. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Coupled that with the verse in where Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So you have this thing taking place. And you know what? It amazes me. Don't you ever stop sometimes, whether you're driving or wherever you are, you just kind of stop in your tracks and say, Why me? Why me, Lord? How was it all that I was able, by your spirit, to be drawn to you and I was to respond to you and I welcomed you as my Lord and Master and I am just basking in the glow of knowing you? Why me? I think it's good to, to say, ask that question and to realize it's grace. It's God's grace. There's no offense, folks, but there's nothing about you or about me that was deserving of his salvation to us. Nothing. You might be very nice people. I am too, I think. But still, there was nothing that says, I deserve this. I deserve this. We don't deserve it. It's the grace of God. And the wonderful thing is, in Ephesians 5.8, 
Paul says, For you were once darkness. I love this verse. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And here's the exhortation. Live as children in the light. That's the natural response. So the situation here for Bartimaeus was, what was his condition? He was blind. Physically blind, spiritually as well. Did not know Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, the scripture goes on to say, what was this character doing? He was begging. He was a poor man. And it was a common sight to see a blind beggar along the road in Jericho. Most occupations in the city required somebody to do physical labor. So for somebody who was blind, they were at a severe disadvantage. Disease or disability would force somebody to beg. I remember in Ireland, it was a common sight for different reasons, but in, along O'Connell Street, which was the main thoroughfare in Dublin, to be able to see um, just sometimes 5, 10, 15 people begging along the road. Depends where you are and where you live, you'll see more of that. The interesting thing was, is God's law commanded people to take care of the needy. It was in the law. God's law requested that. And yet sometimes people disobeyed that. And so you had people who had to beg for their livelihood. And this was what Bartimaeus did. Look at it again. Verse 36. And they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now notice this in verse 47. Here's his opportunity. His opportunity is right here. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus! Son of God, have mercy on me. You know, the interesting thing, and it's really quite sobering when you think about it, from the records of history, was that this was Christ's last visit to Jericho before going to the cross. And you know what? It was Bartimaeus' last chance to actually have an opportunity to see Jesus along the road as he was crossing through the Jericho Road. He would have had to find him somewhere else, but he wasn't going to be in Jericho any longer. Every man, every man and woman, hears the gospel for the last time on this earth. Now, I have absolutely, and you don't either, have have no way to tell when is that last time on this earth that this person heard the gospel unless you're following that person 24 hours a day you don't know if they heard it on television heard it on radio another conversation with the Christian whatever the way that God's means we all have a last opportunity to hear and for all I know for all I know this could be the last opportunity for someone here this morning to hear the gospel message And that's not meant to be particularly um, driving up fear. It's simply reality. It's the reality. Scripture says, Proverbs 27.1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. That's the the truth. And of course, in my profession of what I do, and uh, you've heard it probably talk about this enough, but I am so conscious that before it hits the papers, before you hear it on the news, I'm conscious of the fact of what's happening in people's lives just in one little small city in California. That people don't expect when I go into work this afternoon that they will all of a sudden have a heart attack. Or for some reason, someone's going to have a stroke this afternoon. 
but in a city of 150,000, somebody's going to turn ill today, and somebody may die. And that's just in Hayward. Somebody driving on the road, some teenager, some adult, sorry, some uh, teenager under 18, some adult, some other person's going to be driving on the road, they've got a green light, but somebody else blows it and breaks it in the other direction. We don't know. We trust in a, in a God who knows. It doesn't catch him by surprise. And he has our days, of our number of our hairs numbered. He knows this, but we don't. And sometimes we kind of think, you know, I'm going to plan for next year, I'm going to plan for the second year, and blah, blah, blah. This was Bartimaeus' opportunity. Interesting as well, Scripture says, Luke 13, listen to this. Another sobering verse by Jesus Christ. He says, make every effort... Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Luke chapter 13, verse 24 and 25. There is that opportunity. And it comes. And it goes. I think of my dear father today who has had the opportunity for probably the last 10 to 15 years to hear the gospel. He's heard the gospel so much. And for reasons that I think we just read in scripture are the reasons, the work of the enemy and the hardness of his heart there's very little response to Jesus. After about 10 minutes at church, usually I notice the eyelids starting to droop. It's kind of a regular thing. Sometimes it happens when we're just tired or somebody up here that's difficult to listen to. 10 years, though. You probably have people that you know. And I hope maybe you're, I trust you're not in that situation where you've been hearing the gospel. You've been hearing the good news of Jesus Christ week after week after week. What in the world is, is holding you back that makes any real sense? It says in verse 47 that he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. I wonder what he had heard. Obviously, a person who, from knowing a couple of people who can't see, the one thing that happens is, is they are very tuned in with their ears, aren't they? Because they compensate for the fact that they can't see, so they are very keen listeners if they have their hearing. And this man, Bartimaeus, had heard of Jesus. What did he hear? I suspect he had heard of Christ's power to heal and to forgive. Maybe he had even met somebody who had been healed previously from blindness. This is no small thing. I mean, if, some, if the Lord Jesus physically here today was to go up to my mother and place his hands or whatever way he chose to do it, and placed his hands on her eyes or just said the word, Bonnie, be healed. And all of a sudden where there's a cloudiness and everything is distorted and she wouldn't be able to tell who any of you are from standing here, that would be a fantastic thing. And you'd say, glory to God. I mean, this isn't the kind of thing where you're healed of a migraine. I don't minimize that because that's important too because my wife has those. But this is blindness. This man is blind. He had heard of Jesus Christ. And I ask you this morning, have you heard? Have you heard of him? 
Scripture says in John 12:48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Does not accept my words. If you're having a struggle with Christ today in the sense that you have a problem, what is it about his words that you disagree with? What is it? Why wouldn't you accept those words? Notice as well in our text what he says. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, verse 47, he began to shout, and he says these words, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He called him the son of David. Son of David was a popular way of addressing Jesus as the Messiah from the lineage of King David. It was known that he would be, that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. And his faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah brought about the healing to this man. And you know, the interesting thing was, is how ironic that while the nation of Israel was blind to the presence of the Messiah, a blind Jew had true spiritual sight and could see who he was, even though he couldn't see. It's one of the ironies, one of the wonderful things. The humility of this man and his begging condition, his poor condition, which is a description of all who don't know Jesus, just beggars, poor, in need. And he called him the son of David. I like how he did it too in verse 47 and 48. He shouted. He was earnest. There was no complacency here. No kind of whispering or, or doubt or, or wondering if he wanted him to be his Messiah. There was no hesitation. He shouted it. And it says in verse 48 that many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Imagine the scene. You're on the Jericho Road. Picture yourself in his shoes. And there's a crowd here. And you say, you shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people go, shut up, quiet, stop that. Well, probably a percentage of people would say, okay, if they weren't sincere. Or, all right, I'm sorry, I don't want to ruffle feathers and rock the boat. I'm a man pleaser, a crowd pleaser. And if the crowd is saying one thing, then I'm going to do what they say. Well, no, he wasn't like that. No, he wasn't like that at all. He shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. A very simple prayer. A very simple request. But Jesus, able to see his heart, knew exactly what he was saying. Have mercy on me. Scripture says in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And here was the opportunity. Jesus was near. Right by Bartimaeus. And nobody was going to silence him. Why? Because he knew his need better than anybody else there along that road knew. He knew what he needed. He needed his sight. He needed spiritual insight. He needed spiritual vision. He needed a relationship with God. And while the crowd thought they knew what was best for him, and that was shut up, he said, no, I'm not going to do that because i got a need. And this is one of the things. Everyone who's become a Christian understands this in some way, shape, or form. And, you, and I don't mean that in any ambiguity because there's no ambiguity in this. They, they understand. I understood that I have a need. I have a need. I didn't come to Jesus because basically everything was okay. And, you know, he's just kind of kind of make things a little bit better in my life. I saw my need. I saw my, the fact that I was separated from a holy God 
because of my sin. That I was in that condition, deserving of the penalty, which the Bible says is death. And then it became very clear to me, back when I was 17, that if I was to die in that condition of being in my sin and not knowing the forgiveness of God, that I was hellbound. And a lot of people will say, that's just impossible. That's not the, it shouldn't be that way. First of all, there isn't a place called hell. Secondly, you're a relatively good person. What in the world have you done that's deserving of hell? But like Bartimaeus, I knew my need. With all due respect to the crowd, and for your whatever those compliments are or whatever, but they're false. They're false because I was in a sinful state. Needy. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I didn't come to call those who are so self-righteous. I came to call sinners. And I realized, and I trusted, obviously, if you know Christ today, you came to that point too. And you said, I've got a need. And it's a hard thing where in our self-sufficient society, we're basically do everything your way and do it and accomplish it. To have to get on your knees if necessary and say, help me. Have mercy on me to humble yourself like that. It's a refreshing thing. It's what's required in the heart. It's a necessary condition that you've got to come to before you're going to understand anything about the work of the cross. It'll mean nothing to you that Jesus died on a cross until you understand that he died for you. Because you had that need just like I did and just like everybody else in this room does. We are absolutely no different in that way of having to have that need because of who we are. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Scripture says in I 55 as well. Remember, this was a fantastic song we sang in Ireland. I won't sing it for you this morning. But it takes off from Isaiah 55, and it says, Come all who are thirsty. Bartimaeus was thirsty. He was thirsty for what he saw the son of David could do for him. Are you thirsty this morning? Is, do you have that desire that that thirst be quenched? And I'll tell you, Jesus Christ is the only one the living waters, it says in John 7, who can meet that need, that thirst that you have. I was talking to a family relative recently, and I said, you know, with all due respect, I, I see you, you want this. And then and you want this. And then you want this. You're basically, a car, a house, a lover. And I said, you know, I've got a sense that, with all due respect, that when you get each of those things whatever order you get them in, you're still going to be thirsty. You're still, there's this discontent that I see in you. I have a relationship with this person enough to be able to say these type of things, but the Spirit of God is the one who gave me the boldness to say, but I said, you're discontent. Nothing's going to really satisfy you until you meet your satisfaction in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now, those of you who are Christians today, you understand that and you say, Amen, because we're, we've come to the other side. But it's hard unless the Spirit of God draws that perfect person and they see that. And their eyes are opened and they're not blind any longer to that truth and that reality. That you can have whatever you want on this earth and whatever quality and quantity you want it, but you're going to still have that God-shaped vacuum in you that is empty until you fill it with Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing else is going to take that away. Thank God he has shown us that. 
Interesting, when Bartimaeus goes to Jesus, what's the subject? What's his main theme? And it's the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Luke 18, 13. But the tax collector, another story. Remember, this one stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That was Bartimaeus' same theme, too. He didn't demand to be cured. He didn't say, you owe me. Why? Why was I blind? What kind of a cheap... Blah, blah. Why'd you play with me like this? Why, why was I blind and have all this bitterness? Didn't demand to be cured, but he cast himself on the merciful one. Twice he said it. And notice too, when Bartimaeus said this, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Individual. It's individual. That's what the... Um, jailer said in, in Philippians didn't he in Acts 16 he says what must I do to be saved he didn't say what must we do although in certain contexts that might be appropriate just to ask for the group but everybody has to say what, what do I have to do to be saved serpent on the bra- brass remember that story if you don't it's a fantastic one numbers 21 where the Israelites were dying like fleas because they were being bitten by snakes and God said to Moses, he said, tell the people to erect a, a brass serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole and to erect it up so that when people look at the serpent on the pole, those who had been bitten will live. And it was a picture, a wonderful picture. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. It's a wonderful picture of the cross. But each Israelite, each Israelite individually had to look at the pole, at the serpent on the pole to be healed. Somebody else couldn't do it for them. They had to do it for themselves. And it's all they needed to do was to look. And they would live. And Bartimaeus did this. He said, have mercy on me. And then Jesus stopped and said to him, and said, I should say, call him. Now here's some really interesting stuff. And there's not many words in here, but the word of God is just powerful because we could just go on and on about some of the next few themes here. Verse 49, he was called. Love the verse of Scripture, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, where Jesus says, All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isaiah 45, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none other. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. Aren't you glad this morning that you have heard the call? You've heard the call. A lot of times, kids, my kids, the younger two particularly, Cindy will say, like she did this morning, come on, everybody, breakfast is ready. Come on, everybody, breakfast is ready. You know, you know what that's like, don't you, ladies? Food's going to get cold. Keep calling. Nobody's responding. Get a little bit impatient maybe about it. Well, okay, I'm just going to eat myself then. Whatever. Jesus is calling. And in his patience and in his grace, he he continues to call. Until that point when it's the last time that he's called. But nobody could ever accuse him. Nobody could ever accuse Jesus of of not being patient. And that the God of 
of this book has not been patient and long-suffering to his people to call them to himself. But he's calling. And Revelation 3 says, for that matter, he's knocking. And he's, he's pleading. He's, yet he's not going to force his way on your life. There'll be no, and you've heard this expression, I'm sure, before. There'll be no kicking and screaming in heaven because there's going to be anybody there who really doesn't want to be. Everybody who'll be there will be those who recognize their need, who recognize that they were poor, recognize their poverty, recognize that though there was one who was rich became poor so that they might become rich and are there and we're going to be there as you've been talking about the theme. We're going to be there for eternity worshiping the Lamb. And the things that happen in this life now that seem like a big deal to us, and I don't minimize the importance of whatever those things may be, but they will pass. But what will never pass for the Christian is to be in the presence of God, worshiping Him at His feet, singing His praises. And you know what? It's a party that will never, ever end. It's going to go on, and it's not going to become drudgery, or it's not going to become boring. It's not going to be tedious but it's going to be something where we're just going to bask in his very presence. If it wasn't in Scripture, it's too good to be true. But it is. And as quick as life goes, and as quick as the time goes, we're coming up to the year anniversary of 9-11. Already. It's not going to be that much longer for those of you who know Jesus Christ are going to be in his presence. I don't know when that'll be. But it's coming. And I'm absolutely certain of that because the scripture says so. Notice that Bartimaeus, he cast away his garment and he came to Jesus. So he said to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And in verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet. He jumped to his feet. I can just imagine. It wasn't just kind of like sometimes when you're trying to get out of bed on a Monday morning. You know, just five more minutes, you know, and... Just ten more minutes, and then he just kind of stumble out. This guy jumped to his feet. He was excited to meet his Savior, to meet the one who was going to cure him. Scripture says, Isaiah 40, 64, 6, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. This man, just in a picture, he threw his cloak aside. Whatever it was that he had been trusting in, whatever self-righteous deeds, whatever pride, whatever pride he had, he threw it aside and he came to Christ. And then Jesus Christ in verse 51 questions him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And it's beautiful. He said, Rabbi, which means Lord and Master, I want to see. You know, only two persons in Scripture are recorded uh, as addressing the Lord in this manner. The blind beggar, and a woman who was once possessed with seven demons. Rabbi, Lord and Master, I want to see. Jesus said in verse 52, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. 
But you think about the power and the, and the drama of this. And this isn't some story that Hollywood created. This is a true account that happened in the scripture. He received his sight. And it was not over a course of days or weeks or months in this case. It was immediate. This man who was blind. Close your eyes for a second. Think of it like this. Your eyes are closed and open your eyes. And like that, you see. He didn't need glasses to help his vision or some adjustment he could see because of the Lord and Master, what he had done. And when he opened his eyes, I just picture this. When he opened his eyes, who was the first person he saw? But it was Jesus. He saw him. And I bet it was love at first sight. I bet it was love at first sight. This is the one I just had called out to. This is the one who did it. He's the one who did it. I can see because of him. We used to sing a chorus and uh, years ago, maybe you have sung it as well. Open my eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him. And say that we love him. Love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. See him with the eyes of faith as it is right now for us. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1. He says, though you have not seen him with our physical eyes, you love him. You love him? Amen? You love him. Maybe those aren't real easy words to say. But for the Christian, and I, I believe it just delights his heart every time he hears a brother or sister, one of his children say, I love you, Lord. I love you. That word is so thrown around so casually uh, and flippantly in our culture. I love you, Lord. And as we sing, I lift my voice to worship you. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Peter goes on to say, though you uh, have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Well, not all the times we're not, if we're honest. But that's what it should be like. When we start thinking about Him, we are. We're filled with that inexpressible and glorious joy. And we sang in that hymn this morning, What a day that will be. And this is what's coming. When my Jesus I shall see, and I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. That day's coming when we are going to see him. We're going to see him. We're going to see those nail print hands. We're going to see the nails that went through. We're going to see those eyes of love. We're going to see that face of compassion. We're going to just see him in all his glory. And I don't know how it's going to work, but we're all going to have time for him. And he's going to have time for us. And we're going to have conversations with the Lord Jesus. We're going to be able to be with him forever and ever. We don't have to push and shove. Because it's going to go for eternity. There won't be any sin there where that would be maybe a sinful issue if we were pushing and shoving. But notice here what he said also as we get ready to wrap up. He followed Jesus along the road. Now, this is the natural thing, isn't it? Or this is, I should say, the supernatural thing. But it is, in one sense, the natural thing that happens to someone who, in gratitude, has just received their sight, has just been spiritually born, whose faith has made them well. 
as they want to follow him. And you don't have to be pushed and dragged and coerced and manipulated and, and tr- you know, trying to be teased and everything else to follow him. You simply want to do it from your heart. Uh, gone are the days of where I've tried so hard to get people to do that. But now what I look for in the person who says they're born again is do they want to follow him? Do they just simply, and, and that doesn't mean that we, we get off the road like sheep, we stray and we wander off the road. But is the heart desire, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be where you are. I want to be where you're going. I don't want to follow my own road any longer. I did that before. It didn't work. Done that. Been there. Now I just simply want to follow you. And that's what Bartimaeus did. Jesus said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And also now, and just in turning, uh, just in closing, turn over to Luke chapter 18 because this account is also recorded in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 18, and there's something else Bartimaeus did here that Mark's gospel doesn't have, but it's good to see this. Luke chapter 18. In verse 43, it's wonderful how scripture, uh, we can get so many different insights from the different gospels. Immediately, it says, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Now, I like this because in addition to following Christ, what he also did was he glorified God. He knew he knew who it was that had done this for him. And the natural response was is where there was maybe not that. There wasn't that before. And like you can relate to this if you, you're a Christian today. Where the last thing on your mind, last thing on your heart, the last thing that occupied your thinking was praising God. Now you've been born again. And the first thing you want to do is praise God. You think of the song Amazing Grace. The last chorus that we sing, and I've heard it sung different ways, is you just say praise God, praise God, praise God. You just want to praise God because of his amazing grace. And that's what this man did. Nobody told him that's what you should do. That's simply what happened. And it caused others to do the same as well. They see you. If a person who does not know Jesus sees you, sees your life, sees you praising God, sees you giving honor and homage to God, glorifying God in your life, rather than you know, boasting about yourself, boasting about what you do and what you've accomplished and, and all this and that where you're the kind of person that when you're around other people somehow or another by the Spirit of God you're able to turn it around to Jesus and boast about Him then others see the change see the things that He's doing and that can be an attraction for others and when all the people saw it they also praised God people hear your testimony you have the opportunity to share how Jesus Christ saved you and you tell that don't don't ever give up or forget about your testimony that you have. Don't think your testimony is, there's other ones that are better than yours out there. The fact that your life is changed by the living God is a powerful in itself. And people need to hear it. There's a lot of people that haven't heard it. And they're just, how are they going to hear, Paul says in Romans, unless there's someone who's going to preach. All the marks of a believer followed what happened with Bartimaeus. He followed Christ. He glorified God. And that caused people to praise God. What an encouragement Bartimaeus must have been to Jesus on his last trip as he was headed to Jerusalem. His heart must have been cheered as he saw this man's faith 
as he headed to Calvary. And it was a good thing that Bartimaeus sought the Lord that day because, as I said earlier, the Savior never passed that way again. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, this may be the last time you will hear this message of his good news. Don't, don't delay. One more minute. And brother and sister, if you know Christ today, then I give you the exhortation of Ephesians 5.8 that I read earlier, and I give it to myself as well. Remember this, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children in the light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to bless you and praise you for what a mighty God you are. We thank you, Lord, that you have restored our our sight. That, Lord, we now see you as the risen Lord of lords and King of kings. We see you as high and lifted up. And we just simply want to praise you as your people today. We thank you so much for your sinless person. We thank you for your blood shed on Calvary for us. We thank you for your marvelous grace. Lord, we pray as your children that we simply will be those who follow you, who glorify you, who praise you. And Lord, that while others would see that, it would be and bring glory to you. Father, I pray for anyone here today, anyone here today who has not had their sight restored, who has, is still blind to the beauties of you and of your gospel, that today they might cry out as Bartimaeus did, Son of David, have mercy on me. We ask you to bless us now with your very presence. We love the very fact and appreciate the fact of your presence for the rest of this day and for eternity with us. In Jesus' name, amen.